ELU version, there is a event for today, it has the scripture, will be in the book of Colossians chapter 1. I saw Ken and Deneen's post that they went downtown to the celebration of the moon landing and that it was super cool. I didn't get to make it because of my other commitments, but I saw the pictures of the monument lit up. And um, this week I saw an interview with astronaut Michael Collins. Now, I didn't know his name until I watched this interview, but he was the third astronaut of Apollo 11. He was the one that stayed with the ship while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon. And um, guess what? He was a pretty important member of the team to make that mission happen. Uh, So I just want to say to you, all of you are an important part of the team, even if for some reason your name doesn't get remembered. You know, like whatever we're doing, it's important. But he talked about... Um, that as cool and unique and sensational as it was to be there orbiting the moon and, and some of the anxiety that they were facing with, there was, there was true um, the unknown whether or not the lunar, um, once they, it was time to leave the moon, was that ship going to work correctly? Because there was no real way to test that and there was no real way to create the plan B. And so it was just, so that, that was a, that was a real possibility hanging out there that he would have come home by himself. Uh, Pretty interesting. But as much as all of that was compelling and everything, the most beautiful view was seeing the earth from space. Now, that's an image that we are really used to now, right? I mean, there's been so many um, satellite photographs taken where we we see the Earth from space, but that was not a very common sight in 1969 to know what it looked like to be seeing the Earth from space. And and I I want to just the reality of images and and, and seeing the the whole world like that. Um, One of my favorite verses in the book of Colossians, which is just past where today's reading is, but is in chapter 1, verse 15, where it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So images, the image of God, what is it? Christ is the visible image of the invisible image of God. We are quite taken with images, aren't we? We live in an image-rich environment. Guess what, guys? Instagram is almost 10 years old. (laughs) which means that today's teens have always had Instagram, always, and that communication through images really is the norm. Can you imagine that not being, those of you your age, you know, the Instagram age, it's just normal. Um, This week, there was an interesting thing about images going around called Face App. How many saw any of those? Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, it was on social media, and it's some app that you load your picture in, and then it projects you what you'll look like when you get old. Well, so a lot of my friends said, well, I don't need an app for that. (laughs) I already know what I look like. (laughs) But but the first one that I saw with that before I knew that this was some, you know, gimmick thing out there going on was my daughter-in-law. And I was very concerned. I didn't know what happened. Like, like what? And why are you posting? So, and then I finally, you know, I figured it out. Okay, it's just a, it's just a, 
distortion. Um, but and then there came up this thing about well now you have need to be afraid if you uploaded your face to this app because it's it's got security risks and all that kind of you know what our faces are everywhere guys it, it whatever don't stress over it but um, I was hanging out so more more about images I was hanging out with Michael some earlier this week and I can't remember if we were looking at pictures on a phone or um, reading a book. I don't remember, but we were looking at something where I pointed to this photo of baby animals. Now, what do you think, three-year-old Michael, how do you think he responded to this, these photos of baby animals? He went, aww, they're so cute. Right? Which is generally our universal response. So even three-year-old up to us, older ones, you know, when we see these pictures of baby animals and everything, it's, there's something endearing about it. Oh, they're so cute. And, uh, you know, walking through this trial with Oscar and, and dealing with everything, and it, it, as a baby, it highlights the disruptive nature of life when things don't go like they're supposed to. You know, a young life is vulnerable, it's precious. Generally, it is ready to grow and thrive if everything is healthy. And and thankfully, he is doing that. He is growing, he's getting bigger and, and all that. Um, but it's also, uh, it's got to have the healthy and proper care and nourishment. So with that metaphor in mind, when we're looking at the book of Colossians, I want us to think about this, this congregation, because the timing of when it was written is not absolutely certain, but my study has led me to fall on the side that it's being sent to this church while it was still very young, very fresh, bursting with potential, also fragile, vulnerable, and in need of some tender care. So here are some facts about Colossians. I've got a photo of a map of Asia Minor during the time of the Apostle Paul. And you can see Colossae in the south, close to the better known city of Laodicea. And um, that is where it was located. The next slide shows modern Turkey. So this area is modern. The area where Colossae was located is in what is currently Turkey, and we, one of our mission's family works in Turkey. Authorship has, um, has been disputed somewhat. Some have not been confident that Colossians was, in fact, authored by the apostle Paul. It has a few um, differences in style, and, and the theology has some different emphasis in it that compared to some of his um, other letters. But my studies have convinced me to proceed that considering this to be a letter from Paul, and and that's going to impact some of the ways we talk about the book. So we're going to study this in a series. And I want to encourage you to spend some time this week to read the entire book. It's four short chapters it shouldn't take you more than 20 minutes. In the event, I've, I've listed a couple of plans that will help you with it if you want to do it that way. Book of Colossians, four chapters. I just want to encourage you to, at some point this week, read through the whole thing. Today, we're going to take a look at the setting and the circumstances and get a general overview. Uh, Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It contains some of the most beautiful languages, language and descriptions of the supremacy of Christ. 
It is first and foremost a book about Christ. He is the central theme, figure, message, and plot. So we're going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 1 together. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, beginning at verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. We are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So that's just the introduction, and I didn't even read the whole introduction of the book. So Paul can get, you know, his introductions can get long, right? But the reality, he starts with saying, I'm, I'm thanking God for you, and here's what I'm thanking God for, and then I'm praying for you, and this is what I'm praying for you specifically, all right? N.T. Wright says that we cannot just read through Colossians and have a linear understanding or revelation um, akin to like ticks on a ruler, but rather it unfolds and opens up like a flower with themes and wisdom brought into view in layers. Now I've given the series the tagline Cosmos Christ Community. And as we look through these introductory verses and then as you read the full letter later this week, I want you to look how these themes of the cosmos, the world, Christ Jesus and the community weave together like music in a symphony. Remembering that thought about the baby animals, the, the you know the tender young what a baby's like. Consider this: this church was a young church, and Paul's letter is giving them encouragement and insight into the magnitude of their new life in Christ, and also some teaching and guidance 
about some things to avoid. There were some in Colossae who were attempting to draw these new believers away from the unique and complete power of the gospel and to lead them to instead search elsewhere for deeper mysteries and to do so through strict rules, ascetic practices, and the like. So let's see. Let's, let's, let's dig in a little bit further to these verses and see what they say to us. And we'll end up today with an emphasis on hope, faith, and love. So the verses 1 and 2, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. So the, the apostle Paul frequently in his letters will point out that his authority and apostleship are by the will of God. When he's writing this letter, he had never been to Colossae, but his co-worker, Epaphras, is the one who planted this church and started it. We we hear that in verse 7. And so Paul's authority is such that he considers himself responsible to make contact with this church and to provide apostolic guidance, encouragement, and teaching. At the end of the book, in chapter 4, it is made clear that the letter's purpose is to be read aloud to all of the gathered saints, and then also shared with other congregations. Now, that speaks to, uh, that, that helps us understand the level of authority that this letter comes with, okay? It's, it, and, it, and it also says this, it cannot be understood in a purely individualistic setting. N.T. Wright says, Christian truth is a corporate possession. It is when we break the word of God together in community that we are able to more fully grasp and understand the full gospel, enlightened and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is why we want to add opportunities for Bible study and conversation when we initiate our fall schedule. We need that time together around the Word of God. As you are enjoying your restful summer, be thinking about this, leaving space and or making space, if you have to, in your schedule come this September for some kind of a midweek gathering around the Word of God. Did everybody hear me? Be ready. We're going to have some kind of options for you to be together during the week, not just on Sunday morning, around the Word of God. All right, in verse 2, notice the family language. He says, to the faithful brothers and sisters. And then he says, but God our Father. This is something we've talked about before. We are family. In the archive of sermons from 2018, there's a series called We Are Family, if you want to look that up. At, at Mother's Day this year, we, we talked about that who is God's, Jesus said, those who do the will of my Father are my mother and my brothers and my sisters. Jesus himself taught us to pray, our Father which is in heaven. This is an important part of the gospel message. We are a family with each other. He was encouraging this newly formed church, letting them know that the gospel they received is now spreading around the world and that they are part of something bigger than themselves. They are not limited just to their small town, to their own gathering. Gathering, but they are the news of what God is doing is going everywhere and bearing fruit. 
What is the fruit that he said it's bearing? Changed lives. He said it's going all over the world, changing lives, transformation. That we as a family are a part of this. We are a family right here among ourselves. We can listen to each other's challenges, pray for one another, enjoy each other's company, but we're also family with God's people everywhere. And I want us to widen our scope and understand that we are members together with all the people of God. Okay, I want us to look at verses 3 through 5, and you're going to see the, the, where we're going to end with, with this faith, hope, and love. Verse 3 again. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Good news is the another way of saying gospel. So the triad of faith, hope, and love is a familiar one in the writings of Paul. The presentation in this passage is slightly different in its order, and it suggests that their faith and their love come from their hope. I want to look at these in connections with these words, cosmos, Christ, community. So here's how we're going to do it. First, let's start with hope, cosmos, cosmos, hope. The hope that is illuminated here is one of a new existence, a new kingdom, leaving darkness and coming into light. And the gospel facts of God's promise of a blissful future, a new world. The cosmos, this world, has dimensions of grace and power and truth and beauty that open up to us who have received the good news of Jesus Christ. We're going to look further next week at the hymn of Christ, where it is made clear that Christ is the creator of the cosmos and the one that holds it all together. The hope of the gospel is, is that we are brought into full relationship with him. This young church was born in a pagan society. They, 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 weren't, they didn't grow up in synagogue. This isn't a group of Jews. This is a pay, group of Gentiles born without any previous knowledge of God. And yet upon hearing the gospel, their lives were transformed, filled with confident hope and joyful expectation. So Tom mentioned the idea of this already and not yet. Um, th this comes into play here. This Leander Keck speaks of this reality, anticipation and participation. So that what the Christian is doing, we anticipate the future blessings while participating in the life of Christ. They work together. It's the already and not yet the danger this young church was facing was the notion that there was a greater hope to be experienced through visions and, and mysterious experiences and, and observances of certain regulations. So Marianne May Thompson points this out. Hence, the emphasis falls on the present participation in the blessings offered through 
Christ. Like, don't only think about hope as that somewhere off in the future. But right now, we can be filled with the hope of Christ, participating in his nature. That is what this is trying to help us understand. While the hope of glory and and what is kept for you in heaven are future realities, what believers now have is a true foretaste of what will be theirs in fullness. We participate authentically in the fulfillment of the promises of God's blessing and salvation. So what is the gospel? What is the good news? What, what, how does, what is it that went out? Because, you know, nowadays you hear the word gospel, here's the gospel, and it's got a bunch of labels attached to it. The liberal gospel, you know, the, you know, the old gospel, the whatever, what, the, no, the, there's none of that in the Bible. The gospel is, what is the gospel that it's talking about? For the Apostle Paul, it means the facts about Jesus Christ. What's true about Jesus? That's the gospel. It is an announcement, a proclamation, whose importance lies in the truth of its content. It is not simply an invitation. It is not a technique. It is not steps to take. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the truth of Jesus. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. And when we will just accept the truth of the gospel, it fills us with hope for life today and a future together with him forever. The gospel is true. Gospel facts. How many have heard that? You know, it's the gospel truth. Well, the gospel is the truth. <laughs> and, the, and what we don't want to do is what some of these were doing in Colossians is adding extra stuff to it. No, the gospel is the gospel. <laughs> Jesus is the gospel. Faith and Christ. Their faith was not a general noun for whatever it is you happen to believe. The way faith is used these days is like whatever your particular religion is, your faith. My, my faith helps me. That's not how faith is talked about in this passage. Faith is in Christ. Specifically defined. Faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the object of faith. And Jesus Christ is the sphere in which faith operates. Faith as a personal commitment a dependent trust, and also a belief that certain things are true. To have faith in Jesus means making a change in my allegiance. I commit to him instead of to myself. Now for others, we, you know, maybe, you've, maybe there are people that have worshipped another false god another thing but for many of us the reality is who has to get kicked off the throne of our life is ourself and faith means we have taken our allegiance died to ourself and taken up the cross of Jesus I commit to him instead of to me faith in Jesus means trusting him and friends in this tough year <laughs> trust functions most obviously in the circumstances 
where doubt has been cast on what we thought we understood, where we thought we had this one figured out and then things are not going quite that way. Can we continue to trust Jesus when bad things happen? He is faithful. He is true. Colossians encourages us that our faith can continue to grow and that we can deepen our faith. This element of trust is one of the most significant places where our faith grows over time. If our trust isn't tested, our faith doesn't grow. It, it, it's just the, it is the crucible where this happens, where our faith deepens. So faith in Jesus means certain things about him are true. Faith cannot be disengaged from belief. Believing certain things about Jesus are true. In the Gospel of John, chapter 6, and verse 29, Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Now, we know that the, that the whole of Scripture doesn't say that you can just sit around like a lump on a log and say, well, I believe. That's not what this is saying. But it's also calling belief work. <laughs> Jesus said, the work I want you to do is to believe. How many have ever faced that, where your trust and your belief is being um, attacked and you have to work it out. What do I really believe here? And coming to the point where you believe the true gospel facts about Jesus. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. This is where faith and Christ come together. And lastly, love and community. One more quote from N.T. Wright. For Paul, the sure sign of grace at work was the fact of a loving community created out of nothing, of a love not restricted to those with whom one has a natural affinity, but which extends to all the saints. The sure sign that the gospel has been planted somewhere is you're going to have a group of people that love each other, that outside of God, they wouldn't even talk to one another, that outside of Christ, they would have nothing in common, that outside of Christ, they may even be enemies. But when the gospel comes in, something changes, and that is the true sign of Christ at work in us, is that love building a community out of nothing, building a community not based on our common, like we all have the same hobbies. I'm pretty sure that's not true in this room, and we're not even very many people here, but I don't think we all have the same hobbies. I know we don't all have the same jobs. We don't have the, all the same seasons of life. There's a lot of things about us that are different, and yet we are a community of love, and that is what we are. Uh, when that happens, we are now an image. We are showing forth the glory of God and the truth of the gospel.
when a community is built on the love of God based on the true facts of the gospel and it's showing forth that we are a group of people that loves each other even though we kind of came up out of nothing we didn't come out of anything other than the love of God and we don't have other affinities except for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the gospel friends and that is an image that the world can see and be drawn to Jesus through that what happened for the Colossians it was being seen all over the world it was being seen everywhere what God was doing in them hmm. we are a loving church I no doubt you are known as that however I ache to see more of this grace at work I long for us to deepen our sense of connection as a community I want to see us knowing each other better, fellowshipping with each other more, breaking bread together more, doing more in the middle of our busy schedules. Look, folks, everybody's busy. And, and uh, around the corner, it probably isn't going to change. We're going to keep being busy. And we're going to need to just decide to deepen and grow our community connections. Our faith and our hope cannot be lived out individualistically. <laughs> That's a long word, but I think it's a real one. Uh, there's plenty of people, for whatever reason, for whatever pains, sorrows, issues that they have faced, would re- they love Jesus, but they don't really want to hang out with his people. We've got to reverse that trend and be the community that God is calling us to be. As we finish out these final weeks of this restful summer, I'm praying for each of us to grow in our love for Christ and for one another and for our neighborhood and for our community. The gospel is true and it will bring transformation to our lives as we walk in hope faith, and love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we are family. I thank you that your love is evident in these people. I thank you that everyone that's here today, I know them well. (laughs) And I know that they love you, and I know they love each other in this room. I pray that you will help us to grow deepen our connections as a community, come together in a way that becomes that image of God in, in this place, that it is showing forth that you have brought us together because of the gospel, that the true evidence of Christ at work is our love for one another and how it blossoms forth from here. I pray for each one of us to be responsive to what you're saying to us? Is there something in our schedule that needs adjusting so that we can deepen community here? Is there something in our attitude, in our priorities? Would you help us to do that? I pray for that transformational power 
for that thanksgiving for what you've done for us to overflow in our lives and that you will make <laughs> make the difference for us. God, for those whose schedules have kept them out of church this summer, I pray for change. I pray for uh, an opening uh, where the busyness and the even the the supervisors that, that are making the work schedules and, and all of that kind of stuff, God. Help bring us together. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray that you send us out from this place energized, restored, refreshed, um, and, and trusting, leaning on you, feeling our faith grow deeper in you. In Jesus' name, amen.